Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I had a Doberman and a German Shepherd. This is how I, I learned to dribble. And I would play with them, like dribbling the ball, and they both would try to get the ball, and they couldn't get it. So I had two dogs. I'm between my legs, around my back, dribbling like that. And that made me quicker. My ball handling skills were good. I could really play any position. And our guest this week is Valerie Walker. She was a tremendous basketball player for Cheney University and was a key part of the Cheney team that went to the first NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament Final. Valerie, thanks so much for the time. Uh, thank you for having me. Before we look back, what are you doing these days? Uh, well, I am a school teacher. I work at Washington Avenue School in Pleasantville, New Jersey. I'm a basic skills instructor, meaning I tutor students who may struggle in the general classroom, pull them out and teach, you know, teach them by targeted instruction that meets their needs and try to get them back into the classroom on track. So that's what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, I am a new hire. I just got hired in January. So I'm really happy about that. Was education always beyond basketball? Was that always the, the goal or, or the what you wanted to do with your career? Well, not necessarily. I mean, I always wanted to be a physical education teacher, you know, because I am a, a an athlete. You know, I'm an active person and I always was. So I always thought about being a gym teacher. But when that didn't work out, you know, and I was doing substitute work, then I just figured I'd just meet, you know, going to the classroom. So it ended up me, you know, just being in the classroom instead of in the gym. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your story. Uh, you hail from New Jersey, as I understand it. You were born down the shore in Atlantic City, but lived most of your life in Piscataway. Am I correct? Yes. Uh, well, yes, I was born in Atlantic City. And then from Atlantic City, my family moved to Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and then uh, I think in my middle school years, we moved to Piscataway, where I uh, graduated from high school. And growing up, basketball was obviously eventually became your passion. But uh, was it always the thing growing up? I read a lot about you doing track and field. Oh, yes. Track was my first passion. I remember when I was young, I had it all timed out. I said when I I was going to be in the 1980 Olympics for track, I had I did the math and everything, you know, and in high school, I ran uh, the hundred. Well, back then it was yeah, the hundred yard dash to 220 instead of the 200, which it is now. And I was a part of the uh, 440 relay and I high jumped. But I did that for one year because my passion changed. So, but track, uh, track was my first passion, my first love. What was it that I don't want to say turned you on, like you didn't know about basketball? But what was it that got you, you know, all in on basketball? Uh, I think it was actually that first year playing in high school. You know. Uh, but just to go back a little bit, you know, I had two older brothers. They both passed now, but I had two older brothers and uh, in Newark. My dad used to take us to Clinton Avenue School to play. And it used to be me and my father against me and my two brothers. 
So that's something that I always did, you know, even going in the summer back to grandma's house in Atlantic City, I used to always play at Madison Avenue School. So basketball was always there, you know, but I think that first year in high school, I had so much, you know, success that I, you know, eventually just just dropped track and just really focused on basketball. And I started to play it like all year in the snow with gloves on everything. I that just really took over. You know, it just took over my life. Was there a person that pushed you to make the decision to, to try out for the basketball team or go to basketball? Well, like I said, I had two older brothers and mm -hmm. they both played. One played at Piscataway High School. He was a senior. I was a freshman. My brother Donald. And um, my oldest brother, Willie, he played at Westside in Newark. So, you know, it was something that was always in my family. As a matter of fact, my mother played in Atlantic City. My grandmother played and she back in back in the day, she was on the traveling team and won a championship. So, you know, it, it was something that was always in the family. So, you know, it, it was just something that was in, in me. Now, I, I saw that you scored more than 2,000 points in high school, which is, when you consider shorter games, that's an incredible accomplishment. Um, you know, when, do you realize how good you are as a youngster, or are you just playing and having fun, you know, and you're maybe not quite cognizant of the, the rarefied air you are performing in? Uh, you know, to be honest, I was just having fun. I really loved the game that much. It was fun, you know. Um, you know, in, in high school, you know how kids are. They always want to be around you anyway. But, I, you know, I didn't look at it like I was so great. I was just having fun because I, I enjoyed the game. That's what I did, you know. So, no, I, I didn't realize it, I guess, you know. I didn't know. I was just having fun. Was there a point when you start to realize that you're going to be able to take this further than most kids? Like when the colleges start, you start getting letters or phone calls, stuff like that? Well, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, my brother's high school coach and my gym teacher, who was Mr. McGriff, who eventually took over Cheney University after Coach Stringer left. He, like I said, was my gym teacher and he started talking to me. I remember uh, playing AAU games and he would prepare me, you know, for things uh, like the foul shooting contest. I remember he and I shot foul shots one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and I ended up winning that in the AAU. But uh, yeah, I guess my junior year, all the letters started coming in, you know, but I still didn't, I guess, just think that I was really so great. I mean, you know, I didn't think about it that way, but the letters started coming in from all over the country, you know, um, but McGriff, Mr. McGriff had a lot to do with um, me really uh, focusing in on paying attention to the letters, should I say. So he, he really helped me in um, making a decision as well. To that point, was it ever overwhelming? You know, being 15, 16, 17, and like you said, you're getting letters from places all across the country, you know, was it did, you know, but I guess having that support system obviously helped, but was it ever overwhelming the recruiting process? Well, no, I remember when I finally did understand what was going on, I remember getting letters and I remember saying to my mom, I'm not going to the West Coast. So letters like Long Beach, USC, uh, uh, UCLA, I didn't open 
I'm not going to the South. I didn't open Old Dominion, Mississippi. I didn't open none of those letters because I remember saying I wanted to stay on the East Coast. And I didn't want to go to Rutgers because that was right there in my backyard. You know, Rutgers, Lewis Brown Arena is in Piscataway. So, you know, it wasn't overwhelming because a lot of letters I, I never did even bother to open because of their location. You know, so, you know, I, I did narrow it down to, uh, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, but I was going to University of Maryland. That's where I was going to go. That was my choice, which was, which is an East Coast school, you know, but that changed. But that was my choice before it changed. What, that was my going to be my next question. So if you're settled Maryland, what, had Cheney been some a school you had looked at and decided Maryland, or did you kind of learn about Cheney? Somebody did Coach Stringer talk to you? Like, how does Cheney enter into the equation? Well, I don't know which came first. I do remember Mr. McGriff taking me to watch Cheney versus Rutgers, but we were sitting way up high. It was back when Rutgers played in that little Douglas, or it's not even an arena, it's like a small gym. And I remember seeing Cheney, but I also remember one time Coach Stringer came to my game at Piscataway. And it was after the game, and she gave me her card. She said, hi, my name is Coach Stringer. She said, I know you're wet and you're tired, but just remember my name. And like I said, she gave me her card, and she left. Um, so, yes, yeah, she did come to the game, but after that, uh, Coach uh, McGriff was in touch with her. And, you know, apart from me talking to a few coaches, um, I ended up speaking with Coach Cheney, John Cheney, who was the men's coach at, at uh, Cheney and, and Coach Stringer. They both came to visit me one day and they sat down with my parents, my brother and I. And before she left, I had changed my mind. I said, I'm coming to play for you for you. Just like that. That one conversation that I had with her and Coach Cheney was it was incredible, and I just changed my mind, and Marilyn was, was a done deal. I decided to go play for her. See, Vivian Stringer, you know, when you talk about the greats in women's basketball coaching, you really don't need, you know, two hands to before you get to, to see Vivian Stringer. You talk about that conversation with her, Coach John Chaney, and we'll talk about how special the relationship was between the men's and the women's team in a little bit. But what was it about the initial, you know, when you first meet her and, you know, how she approached you when you first come to campus? What were what was the initial feel? It was like I, I knew, I felt like she cared about me and my well-being. She was concerned about me, not me as an athlete, but me as a person, because I had spoken to other coaches and I didn't get that feeling. You know, it, it was new to me being away, you know, I, as a freshman leaving home, you know, and she was there for anything that I needed or, or you know, if I needed to talk, she was always available. But, but it was just the feel that it, she felt for me as a person. It was like a security that, uh, you know, of being away from home that I, I felt being at Cheney in her presence. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was Cheney State College at this point, not Cheney University, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. So yes. how's, the how's the transition for you to life in college, you know, from a basketball standpoint? Are you 
comfortable right away? Or is it at times, you know, is the game faster than you were used to in high school and it took some adjustment? Do you remember like that first part of your freshman year, what it was like getting used to being a college basketball player? No, it, it was, it wasn't, I, I don't, I can't say it was adjustment. I felt like, because I always played on a high level. You know, I was always very competitive because I had two big brothers and I used to play them and I tried so hard to beat them. And one one of my brothers was seven years older than me. And he said he knew I was going to be good because I couldn't beat him and I would cry. Right. So I was always very competitive. I always played on a high level. So I don't remember like the game being hard for me or too fast for me or anything like that. You know, and then uh, before the season started, the, the team would always, we always played together. Like in after class, after classes, you know, we would go to the gym late at night. We would go to the gym and we would just practice, you know, and I, I you know, I didn't have any problems with them. You know, nope, any problems. I wasn't intimidated because I was used to playing, you know, up and down the East Coast of New York, you know, the New York Summer Leagues. And so there was no intimidation. I just did what I knew how to do. So I believe I adjusted very well. To that point, scout yourself. For people that didn't get a chance to see you play, what made you special? Well, uh, first of all, I believe it was because I was so competitive and then I could play every position. Uh, in high school, I played the center, but yeah, I had a bro one brother who was a point guard and one brother who was a center. So I got things from both of them and I ended up being a small forward. Uh, I had the jump shot. I can get the rebound, bring the ball up. I could handle the ball very well. Uh, a quick story about that. I had a Doberman and a German Shepherd and I would be in the garage. This is how I, I learned to dribble. And I would play with them, like dribbling the ball, and they both would try to get the ball, and they couldn't get it. So I had two dogs. I'm between my legs, around my back, dribbling like that. And, you know, that made me quicker. So my ball handling skills were good. I could, you know, shoot inside. I could drive. So I was like one through five. I could really play any position. So And so she put me at a small forward. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your first game at Cheney? Actually, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. Everything is, you know, is I, I don't. I don't. Um, like I said, I, I know it, it was uh, special, but I just don't remember it. There's some games I remember, you know, and there's a lot that I don't. I remember the atmosphere in the gym. I remember the warm up. I remember sitting in the classroom before the game and Coach Stringer putting everything on the board. You know, I remember all of that. But to say, do I remember my first game? No, I couldn't even tell you who it was against. So one of the things I found fascinating in talking to people was we talk, you know, obviously see Vivian Stringer and we mentioned John Chaney. So there's two legends as the head coaches at Chaney at this point, late 70s, early 80s. But one of the things I found fascinating is people have told me that the teams kind of practiced to get you. You weren't the women's and basket women's and men's basketball teams. You were almost kind of one unit that worked together. Kind of talk to me about that dynamic because it's fascinating and un and unusual. Yes, and it was. Um, wow, 
Coach Taney was great. You know, he was a, a great coach. He was our coach as well. I know he and Vivian Stringer, Coach Stringer, before practice, they, you know, got together and created whatever they needed to create for practice or put all their skills or, you know, their mindset together. But as a player going in, you know, wow, playing against, playing with our men's team, I remember my freshman year, we had like, Three or four, six, eight guys. George Melton, uh, Andrew Fields, Roger Lasif. It was like four of them. Then it was like a couple six fives. And you know, it look, we we our first 30 minutes, we had to jog, jog around the court, and we would shoot at every basket. I remember always following a six-five guard named Charles Murphy. And he's the reason that my distance, I improved, like I could step out further because I would run behind him. He'd take a shot, I'd take a shot. He'd take a shot, I'd take a shot from the same, uh, you know, from the same place on the court. So in that way, you know, it was just good. It was very competitive. Um, The first hour and a half, we did drills with the men, like three on two, two on one. Uh, you know, the, the full court drills, um, maybe uh, us setting up our press, them trying to break our press and vice versa. You know, so it, it was competitive. It was good for us because we were playing against men who were taller, bigger, stronger, quicker. But then it was good for them because they had to be more careful. They had to be more under control, you know, and Coach Taney, he didn't care. You know, he would get on them. You know, he would get on the guys when they messed up and he would get on us. And it was just one big family. And yes, I believe we probably we were the only team to do that. And probably still to this day, we're probably the only, you know, school that the men and women's team practiced together. But we had great respect for one another and we learned from each other and we supported each other. So it was like. They were our brothers and we were their sisters. Yeah, to that point, that was kind of my next question. I mean, that the chemistry, I don't even know if I can get my head around what the chemistry must have been like in, in that gym. Yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. You know, it was everybody came in there to work. You know, they didn't take it easy on us. We didn't take it easy on them. You know, it, it was about practice because that's what both coaches demanded. And, you know, it made us better. I'm sure it made them better. You know, so it, it was just about practice and, and trying to to grow and improve our skills and come together as a team, you know, because even being being in the school in this uh, at Cheney during the season, it was just about us. You know, everything outside of that, you know, it, it was just us. We, we were focused. So that was our little family right there. Mm-hmm. I asked you about your first game overall. Leading up to your senior year when you guys make the run to the championship game. But what are some of your other memories from, you know, your un- the first three years that really stand out from your days playing at, at Cheney? Well, I remember, um, like I said, I was going to Maryland, right? So my first year at Cheney, my first season, we were undefeated, but we lost and got knocked out of playoffs, per se, by Maryland. That was our only loss, right? The second year, I think we lost two games, got knocked out by Maryland again. So my junior year now, Maryland comes to us. And 
I remember it was a, a game back and forth, tight game, and it was like 10 seconds left. They had just hit a shot and went, went up by one. And Coach Stringer called timeout and, and, you know, showed us the play she wanted us to run. We took the ball out, dribbled it up court. They threw it to me. I got it. I faked and then went up and hit the jumper and we beat them at the bus. And that was our first time we beat them. And I tell you, our fans, I have to talk about our fans. Our fans were so incredible. They all ran out on the court and lifted me up. They were grabbing all the players, you know. Um, so I, that was a memorable game. That's one I do remember because I always wanted to beat Maryland so, you know, so badly. But our fans, we had uh, like the football team had their little section in the back, all the way in the corner. You know, our gym was small and tight and it was like a wolf's den. You know, you might get in there, but you wasn't coming out with the win. And as a matter of fact, in my four years, we never lost at home. So that was a memorable experience, you know, winning, hitting that shot to win that game and just the support that we have, from, you know, from our fans. Um, so, and another uh, memory I have, but it was my senior year. Well, I might be jumping the guns. Um, Jump it all you want. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. But we, you know, when I, I used to um, always go to Madison, Madison Square Garden for the Christmas tournament and see the girls play when I was in high school. So my freshman year, I said, Coach Stringer, can we play at the garden? Finally, my senior year, we get to play at the garden. And that's where I scored my 2000th point in Madison Square Garden. You know, it, it was a bad time for our team because that's when we got the news of Coach Stringer's daughter. And she didn't go with us on that trip. So, but I did get my 2000th point at Madison Square Garden. So the place I always wanted to play at, you know, and the garden is the mecca of basketball. You know, so I got the 2000 point at that, you know, at Madison Square Garden. So that was great for me. Time for a break on one on one. We will continue our conversation with former Cheney women's basketball star Val Walker right after this. And we are back. Our guest on one-on-one this week, former Cheney women's basketball star Val Walker. You guys have had success your first three years. Uh, you go to the AIAW tournament. Uh, I think you win a game or two along the way. And then your senior year, the 81-82 season, uh, what, were your ex- what were the expectations coming in? I don't know if anybody says oh, we got a chance to to go to the national championship game. But you guys had to have a feel like we're good and we're going to be a tough out. Well, yeah, my senior year, we did have a feel. You know, we knew we were good because I, I know uh, we hadn't lost at home. In my four years, we haven't lost 10 games. And going back to the junior year, the AIAW, uh, we went out to California to play USC. And I remember the bus driver got lost. Okay. (laughs) Okay. He got lost. So that game, it was like the first five dressed or the first five. uh, We had to start. Either we were forfeit or the first five dressed was the one who started. So you know how that disrupted our mental, our flow of the game. So we kind of felt gypped. You know, we kind of felt gypped. And, you know, I, I don't know if that was a game to get to the final four, but we were in California and the bus driver gets lost. So uh, going back, you know, going to 
forward to my senior year, yeah, we had great expectations. You know, we had a lot of good players that came in. You know, like Deb Walker was behind me, Ann Strong, Yolanda Laney, Pye, Karen. And then uh, uh, we got a transfer, Rosetta Guilford from Newark, New Jersey, who went to Essex, who came in. And, you know, back when I was in high school, you know, she was a year ahead of me. She was all state. So I knew of her. So we had great expectations. Losing wasn't even a question, but it was one game at a time. We weren't thinking in the beginning, go to the NCAA championship. We didn't. To, uh, look at it like that. We just looked at every game we need to win because that's what we were used to doing. You guys win 23 straight that season going in and that 23 game winning streak takes you into the national championship game. Now this is the first, just so I can mention the AIAW. That's what the women's basketball tournament was prior to this. In 82, this is the first NCAA women's basketball tournament. And when you look at the run you guys put together, you know, you're talking blue blood schools, you know, you're talking Auburn, North Carolina State, you know, you talked a lot about Maryland, but I mean, you know, this is, this is incredible. Did you guys, as players, as college kids, AIAW, NCAA, did that, did the difference mean anything or was it just, hey, who's got next? Right. It was who got next, <laughs> you know, because you have to think about this. Cheney State, who expected us in all my four years? Nobody expected us or I don't even know how much they knew of us, knew about us. But nobody expected us to beat schools like NC State, Kansas, Kansas State, Maryland, you know, all the schools you just named. Villanova back then was good. University of Penn, Rutgers. All of those schools we used to beat. So it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with AIAW and CAA. It was like, who's next? Who who are we playing next? You know, it, it wasn't the, the conference. I mean, you know, the, the tournament title per se. It was just who was coming before us. You know, and Coach, Coach she would talk a little bit. You know, I'm sure she knew more than she let us know about, uh, I guess, People uh, considering us the underdogs. I mean, we kind of knew because we were a small university. But see, what they didn't know is that not only myself, but the ones behind me that came in also had a chance to go to D1 schools. So you're looking at a team of players that all could have gone to Division I schools, but it was Coach Stringer that got us together. So you know, they they thought we were the underdogs, but if they did their homework correctly, they would have known that, you know, I was two-year All-American in high school. You had players like that, you know, so it wasn't, you know, and we just chose the small school because of Coach Stringer. But, you know, it was like, well, who's next? You know, here's another game. We have to we have to win this game. That was our mindset. We We just wanted to win. You mentioned how great the fans were and this level of basketball, you know, you guys played in Copal, right? When for the home games, what what was Copal? That had to be a lot of fun. I think you might have referenced this a little bit earlier, but I want to dig into it. You know, that's a pretty small gym, but you fill that up, and it's got to be electric. Yeah, Copal. I can. Have you ever gone to Duke? No, I haven't had the chance. 
okay. Well, Duke, for, okay, we weren't that big, but that feel you have at Duke University, uh, is we, we had a small gym, but it was packed. It was packed. And it was like standing room packed, you know, and our fans were loud. <laughs> you know, like I said, the football team had that corner. We had our cheerleaders and, you know, it was electrifying. You you could feel it. You know, it, it was just a feel. And I know our fans probably intimidated a lot of schools, too. It wasn't an easy place to play, you know. And especially for our girls team, I don't know if you realize this, but when we had double headers with our men, our men would play first. We was the, the uh, you know, we would play second, you know, so the, the gym was electrifying. And as a result, like I told you, we in my four years and probably even after me, we never lost in our on our home court. So what is it going into that NCAA tournament in 82? How exciting is it? And you kind of mentioned the 82 season. Coach Stringer has a situation with her kids facing some really serious health issues. So, you know, this is, I would imagine, where that family atmosphere, we're working with the, the men's team, that really helps a lot because it can help fill in the gaps when she had to be away to, to tend to her family. Well, yes, I, I remember, if I can go back, it was after Thanksgiving break when we came back we got word that coach something was wrong with Nina, Coach Stringer's daughter. Uh, we didn't know what it was. And I know she would uh, always go to, what's that, Children's Hospital, the one in Philly. I guess that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she was back and forth. But we still didn't know what was wrong, but we knew it was serious. So, like I said, now we're at the garden and she's not there. And, you know, she's not at our games. And it, it, it hit us right at that moment, that Christmas tournament, that, uh, you know, we didn't have her. So we had a bit of a slip. We did. We had a bit of a mental slip because our coach is not there and her daughter is really sick. You know, but coming back, um, you know, there were other games that she missed, but we had great assistant coaches, um, Coach Schaefer and Coach Hill, uh, who would, you know, coach try games and then yes practicing with the men with coach Janie still being there you know kept us on track you know and and we something clicked we had to lift our spirits and I guess we got together and, and we came to the conclusion that we we have to do this and we have to do this for coach Stringer and once we got that mindset and we were able to get back up it was like that was it that's when we started to make our run so NCAA tournament in the opening round. You guys start, we mentioned the teams, but just to kind of get it in order. Uh, the first game is Auburn. And you guys, did you, you played that game at home, didn't you? Yes, we played that game at home because I believe we were number two in the country at that point. Because we, you know, we were number, I believe we were number two. But yes, we played Auburn at home. I do remember that. But you know, it wasn't any big deal. It was just another name. <laughs> you know, it was another university. It wasn't like, oh, this is Auburn Division One. No, it wasn't that. We, you know, it was like it is another opponent. Right. So we we took care of them. Yeah, it was Auburn, then North Carolina State, Kansas State, and Maryland. That leads you up. The Kansas State win gets you into the final four. You know, what does that feel like? Cheney State College, you talk about all these other schools and 
Division One and all that. And, you know, did you guys appreciate the magnitude of what you were doing at the time as this little historically black college in eastern Pennsylvania? And you're you're beating up all these, you know, premier programs and stuff like that. But see, like I said, we didn't look at ourselves as a little, little, you know, I mean, like I said, we, we, all of us could have played on any one of those schools. So we didn't look at it like they were so grand and we weren't, you know, I, I guess that's the confidence that we had in ourselves that the coaches instilled in us. It did, didn't matter who you were, you know, and as far as making history, uh, we just wanted to play. I know I just wanted to play. I realized, okay, we're going to the final four. Now we, I realize we have a chance to win, but it wasn't like, Oh, this is a uh, Kansas or this is NC state. Like, no, they were just another school, you know? And when you think about it, we were number two, I believe we were number two in the country. So all of them were behind us. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. So, and like I said, we we always played Rutgers. We always played Penn State. We always played Villanova. That was every year. And that's another thing I like to mention. Coach Stringer, what she did, our conference teams were East Stroudsburg, Bloomsburg, Slippery Rock, Edinburgh. That was our conference. But the games outside of the conference, that's when she would schedule Maryland, Rutgers, Penn State. So we were playing all these schools anyway. She knew, you know, I guess she she knew that they were top, top schools. But for us, it's just another game or uh, team on the schedule. But she knew the magnitude of playing those schools, you know, at, because you had to play those schools in order to be recognized on a certain level. I know that now. I knew that afterwards because, you know, but as a player at that point, all I know is this is another opponent. What's the, what's the celebration like when you guys win to go to the Final Four? Oh, well, we come back um, and all the fans are there. Like I said, our fans are great. You know, our fans are there with, you know, pom-poms. They, when the bus pull up, they're there cheering and they may have had some type of party or something. I, I don't know. I'm sure I didn't go. <laughs> you know, I wasn't like the party type person, but they they were really supportive on campus. You know, even the, even the instructors, you know, they, they were happy for us and they were rooting for us. And, you know, that's what made Cheney so special because not only the team, you know, the fans, the, you know, everybody, they rooted for us. They cared about us. And, you know, not just basketball, every sport. So then you beat Maryland. Obviously special for you to go to the final. What is it like to be a win away from a national championship at that point? There's two teams left. I mean, you mentioned being number two. I think it's one thing to be listed number two, but it's another thing when there's two teams left and you're one of them. Yeah, I think um, that is true. I think I I, I didn't sleep that night, (laughs) you know. I didn't sleep that night. It was exciting. But see, the thing, too, uh, at that time, Coach Stringer was going back and forth as well. She would coach us in the game, fly out that night, go back to Philly. This is through the whole tournament. Go back to Philly, come back, practice, you know. So it it, it was a lot of uh, mixed emotions. But I, I know that I didn't sleep that night. And, you know, I was excited and ready. So. And you get Louisiana Tech in the final, 
Uh, and Louisiana Tech, you know, they were kind of, uh, they were at that Tennessee UConn level that people came to appreciate, but they were a little bit beforehand. Um, what's the feeling like pregame? You know, you talk about not sleeping, you know, what's the mixture of nerves, excitement, anticipation, you know, what do you remember kind of running the gamut of emotions leading into that? Or were you kind of just, all right, let's get to work. Well, I mean, warm up was warm up. You know, once once you're out there, uh, the the ball goes up. It's time to play. I just know the night before I, I couldn't sleep, but now you know in the locker room, you're used to the coach giving her 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 talk. The team was together, and we were about business. You know, but it, it's normal to have a little bit of nerves, but that only lasts for a moment. You know, it wasn't like a nervous, but I think you should have a little bit of nerve or feel a little something because I know for me in that way, I I know I'm ready. You know, I'm ready. If I, I don't ever remember going into a game, even after college, where I would play and don't feel anything, something's wrong. So, you know, I, I felt a little little something, but it, it was about business. So, you know, it's about business. And you guys got off to a pretty good start in that one. Uh, you led for a lot of the first half, but it's, you know, LaTeX kind of took control of the game and they were able to to take it to the finish line. What are your memories specifically of the game? Well, what I remember, I remember I had one foul early and I remember getting a steal and I went to pass it up to Rosetta Guilford and I say Mulkey jumped in front of me. They call it like they want to call it. They call me for an offensive foul. We were ahead at that point. So now I go to the bench. I think Deb Walker also gets the second foul. So both of us go to the bench in the first half. And that's when Louisiana Tech took the lead. You know, that that one play, if I, you know, Rose Red was wide open down the other end. That not making that call could have changed the whole thing. Could have changed the whole game because we would have scored two more points. I still would have had one foul and I would have been able to play. So that that right there is something that I'm like, wow, you know, that that hurt. Um, and then the second half, you know, we we just we score. They would score, you know, but we didn't stop them enough to score. But uh, when I look at the game, we you know, that's a game that we could have won, you know, it. A foul trouble got in our way, you know, but it's not, I still don't say they were better than us. I think on any given day, we could have beat them. Like they beat us, we could have played them the next day and beat them. I don't believe that they were better than us. I just believe that foul trouble and, you know, maybe a few mistakes uh, changed the game. What's the, what's it like the thing that is great slash awful about the NCAA tournament is the, the emotion and then the finality, how all this work and all this energy and it just comes to a screeching halt. You know, what was the emotion like when you kind of look up and the scoreboard and the time left and the math just doesn't work? Like, what's it like when you realize this wonderful ride, not just this season, but your ba- your college basketball career is coming to a close? Yeah, that was a that was a, a hurtful time, you know, I- me personally, I held it together on the, on the floor. You know, you have to congratulate the other team, get the uh, personal awards. What is it? All tournament and all of that. But I mean, it, it hurts so bad because not we lost, 
it was my last college game. You know, I was leaving Cheney, so all of that. It, it, it was terrible. And, you know, even to this day, when I watch the March Madness, which I think is the best basketball, and I see the team that lose, and I see them with their head down and all that, I, I, it's it hurt me because I know what they're feeling. You know, and that's to this day. That's That's something that is still in me. You know, I, I don't think that I would ever shake that because it's like I was so close. We were so close and we didn't get the win. So I could, you know, empathize with 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 the players when I watched them crying and all of that, because I, I felt it. I know exactly what they're going through. And I can tell right now, 40 years later, that it it's still it's still there. Yeah, it is. It is, you know. You know, that because if you love what you do, you know, I love the game of basketball and, it, you know, and it's something you can't reverse the time and get it back. You know, and, and even in my career after that, I, I went to championships and fell short, you know. So, you know, that's that's something you can't get back, you know, and some people might say, well, at least you were there. But I'm like, OK, well, you must not have ever played sports because, you, yeah, we were there. We made history, but for me, we didn't win. And that was the goal, you know, so. Need to take another break. We will continue our conversation with Val Walker right after this. And we are back. Former Cheney women's basketball star Val Walker is our guest this week on one-on-one. How much you're the only HBCU team to get to the final four to the NCAA tournament game. How long did it take you to really appreciate the magnitude of this and kind of not just, yeah, we got to the national championship game, but the only HBCU to do this, to, you know, to, to get to this. Did you, did you feel that? When it happened? I mean, I I don't know exactly when it hit me. Um, you know, because I left and I, I went over to Italy. I played professional in Italy from 1982 to 1994. So I was kind of away from the game. Um, then when I came back, the focus was more on WNBA. So I didn't I fell off of the college game a little bit, you know, and then Coach Stringer went to Rutgers and I, I you know, got back, got back into it. But uh, I think it's it's really hitting me more like in recently than in the past because when you look at it it's 40 years (laughs) you know that's a long time that's a long time you know um we did it we were the first and i i personally i don't i don't know if there's going to be another school that can do it you know never say never but it's going to be something that's very hard to accomplish in these days you know and I know you obviously appreciated that Coach Stringer and Coach Cheney were both special. But when you look back and you think that these two legends, giants of college basketball, and you got to learn from them every day. And I think that's something when you're younger, yeah, you know they're a good coach, but they're your coach, you're the player, you're trying to win. As you get further away from it, do you ever have moments where you just go, wow, I was just in the middle of something incredible? <laughs> yes. 
yeah, afterwards, like now, or, you know, as I got older, you know, because then, you know, when you're in it, you're in it, you know, but when you're out of it and you look back and then you look back at the accomplishments of the, of the two coaches, both of them Hall of Famers, both of them, you know, Coach Stringer taking three schools to the, to the uh, national championship, Coach Chaney winning in 78 and then going to Temple and doing a good job, you know, it, it, it was after the fact, you know, uh, that, wow, yeah, we we were coached by two great coaches. And we, you know, that was a blessing because, you know, you're lucky if you get one and then to have two. And I think I know that's what made Cheney basketball so special. You know, the, the minds that we had great minds two two legendary coaches. So, yeah, that was a blessing that I realized now didn't know then. Because, you know, it, you know, something like that has to unfold for you to to really look back and appreciate. You mentioned Italy. You played several years overseas. I mean, you played so long, I'm assuming overall a positive experience. But I know a lot of times I talk to people and playing overseas can kind of run the gamut to well-run organization. They did everything first class to, well, I only got paid one of the three months I was there and uh, I had to get my own plane home because they canceled my ticket because I fouled out of the last game. Like all kinds of different experiences. Overall, what was it like for you? Oh, no, (laughs) it wasn't. I went to Italy and back when I got out of school, it was the second year that they allowed Americans to play in Italy. But Italy was where the All-Americans went. That was the top, you know, that was the the top country. And I remember them, they paid for me to come out there and try out. I had an agent and then I got an agent. I think they contacted Coach Stringer and uh, they flew me out there and I played in Milan. Uh, uh, What's his name? Mike D'Antoni, McAdoo and all of them. They were in Milan. I played for Milan, but I mean, they... They gave me a car. They paid for my apartment, uh, made uh, several tickets. I flew my family out there. So, you know, I, I had first class treatment. I, I, you know, I'm surprised when you say, you know, people had to pay for their way home. No, I, I had great experiences. You know, they uh, endorsements, you know, for back at that time, you know, decent contract and. I, I I had a very good experience. You know, I played for different teams. I played for Milan uh, for three years. I played one year. I got hurt, came home and was a grad assistant at Temple. And that was Marilyn Stevens last year. And then I went back to Italy for uh, like 10 or 11 years. But I played on like four different teams. But each team I played with, you know, I, I was treated well. I was treated really well. So I have no horror stories. And, you know, I, I just got tired. I really got tired because, um, you know, I played for top teams and we would play in the cup tournament. And if you know anything about soccer in Europe, like you might have Real Madrid playing Naples and, you know, the countries are playing each other and me playing in the cup games for my team. That's what we did. So I got to play in Russia, Spain, France, Vienna, Poland. I played in all those countries outside of my regular season. I kind of got burnt out. And, and But even before that, I forgot to tell you, when I was in college, I played for our national team as well. 
you know, but uh, around 30, I think I retired at 34, 35. I just got burnt out. It was, you know, it was a lot, but I enjoyed it. I still, I'm still in touch with some of the players today. So I, I've had a, a positive experience being in Italy. Oh, uh, you mentioned the U.S. national team. You know, what was that experience like? It, it, it was good. I remember I played uh, with the Jones Cup. I think we got the silver. I know I tried out for the Olympics in 1980, but that was the year that we boycotted. The boycott, yeah. Right, right. And then uh, I mentioned that I played in, in Italy. Uh, well, I played for uh, KGAL. We played in um, Cuba. I forget, forget which games it was, Yugoslavia and places like that. But like I said, my first year in Italy, I played and I got hurt, even though I finished the season. So the next year, I I wanted to stay home and rehabilitate my knee. And that was the year that they invited me to the Pan American Games. And I made the decision not to go because, you know, those playing in those tournaments, you would practice two, sometimes double and triple sessions. And I knew I needed to re- rehabilitate my knee. So I tur- I didn't go. And I believe that hurt me when it came to trying out for the 84 Olympics, because usually the team that make the Olympics are the Pan American team the year before. So I missed the Olympics, you know, but and then I just never tried out anymore. But so that's that's the story to that. This is the 40th anniversary of that 82 team, your senior year team, the, the Cheney that went to the final. And there's been a wonderful push, a grassroots push to get the story out there and a lot of discussion about it. For the years before, do you feel like that team, that accomplishment got the attention and recognition it deserved until this this recent push here? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it seemed like maybe every 10 years you might see a little clip of the game. But I think that might be one of the issues with women's basketball. You know, if I you look back at the men, NCAA, March Madness, and even the NBA, they keep their history going. They make you aware of their history. They speak about the past. And I know I'm going to the NBA, but just look what they did with the 75th anniversary and the 50th anniversary, you know, but they don't they didn't tell the story. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you promote the first NCAA championship, especially after the 10th year? It should have been a big celebration. You know, I don't know why. I don't know what's happened with the media, why it wasn't pushed, but I think that would have been, that's important for women's basketball. You know, we talk about, um, you know, just, just having a visual or, or uh, the support that we need, you know, our story isn't out there and it's not just us, it's women's basketball, period. But how could you not talk about the first one? You know, I, I don't, I don't understand why, you know, but the very first one, it's not like, you know, we came around in, you know, in 18 something, you know, <laughs> this was like 40 years ago. That's not a long, uh, long ago. So, you know, and they still need to do a better job. And, you know, thank God for Kyle and uh, Leroy and the different people who are trying to push this, because if they weren't 
trying to push it. If Cheney alumni wasn't pushing it, it still wouldn't get out there. And that's a shame. And how tough is it? You know, the athletic department at Cheney, it's had a lot of trouble. I know they haven't been able to, because of the pandemic, the last couple of years, there hasn't been women's basketball. Does it, for lack of a better term, does it hurt to kind of see where Cheney women's basketball is now or isn't? Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, what really hurt is the fact that you may have people going there and they don't even know the history of their school. I don't know what happened when our athletic director left. Uh, But all I know is, for example, my All-American plaques, I was All-American twice at, at Cheney for two years. My stuff isn't there. Nothing is it's not there, you know, so I don't know what happened to all our, uh, you know, all our trophies and everything. So there are people who went to the school that I know. I knew a teacher who teaches with me, who came after me, who knew nothing about Kenny basketball. How is that possible? So I don't know what happened because, like I said, I was gone, but it's like everything disappeared. And so if you go there and you can't see it, how would you know? So once again, like I said, thank God for Kyle, who coached there and Leroy. And, you know, they co- they were there and they're pushing for it. But, yeah, it's really bad to see. You know, it's going to take a lot to try to bring this school up. You know, the school itself, even enrollment is down. You know, we, we need a lot of support, a lot of help in, in bringing the school back up you know, and especially athletic and not only basketball, we had a, also a good football team. I don't know if you remember Andre Waters. Mm-hmm. He, he played at Cheney. He, he was my classmate. You know, he was a couple of years behind me, but I know our football team was like 10 and one, 10 and oh, you know, so I guess they're still playing football. I, yeah, they're still playing football, but even the men's basketball, you know, it's, it's just bad. It's, you know, I've, I've, it's a bad feeling. But that being said, how much has it heartened you the last several months or year to, you know, have your store? I know Sports Illustrated did a wonderful article about the team and stuff like that. And, you know, the fact that people are coming around and, and paying attention and learning the history and and not just learning it, celebrating it. So uh, that's a good thing. You know, what we did you know, we we made history or her story, you know, and a lot of kids need to know, you know, because, you know, women's basketball, you know, there are a lot of girls out there who, who want to play and they need someone to look up to. You know, you can say, OK, go to the NBA, but you still I mean, the WNBA, you still have to get to college first. So, you know, even in that Philadelphia area and the East Coast, wherever, you know, our story needs to be celebrated. It, it needs to be told. People need to know what we've done, you know, and the part that we played in, in women's basketball and as far as being an HBCU. And my final question, we've talked about so many wonderful accomplishments and moments. What are you most proud of, of your basketball? You know, when you kind of look back at the, you know, the, the the whole thing. What are you most proud of? You mean my career or you mean that Cheney? Overall, altogether. Well, I'm I'm proud to say that I had the opportunity to play under Vivian Stringer. 
you know, I, I'm grateful. I, I'm so thankful that she she came to watch me play and asked me to play. I think that was the best decision that I made, you know, in my career. But, you know, starting that led me on to being able to play overseas, which I really had such a great time. That was such a great, you know, time for me, one that I'll never forget. So just being able to play under Coach Stringer and then playing, you know, have an opportunity to travel the world. Let that lead me to traveling the world to doing what I love. I feel like I'm blessed and I'm thankful. And I say it was a good journey. Valerie Walker, this was so much fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank former Cheney University women's basketball star Val Walker for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.